This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. This morning I'm going to speak directly on that subject with this thought in mind. Tested faith. And I want you to think about that as we get into the Word of God today. Tested faith. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalms chapter 107. And uh, we're going to pick up here in the fall with a series where we left off last fall. And we concluded a series last year entitled An Autumn Breeze in the Psalms. And we're going to pick up where we left off and travel a few Sundays with that thought in mind. And as we begin this refreshing time of beginning this series again, I want you to look with me in Psalms chapter 107, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. And because of that, the writer of these scriptures says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now what is it that we are to say so about? And that is, the Lord is good. And so this morning I want to speak on this subject, tested faith. Look at these words here in verse number one, for he is good. Let me ask you the question, have you ever known a period or a season in your life where he has not been good? Now you say, well, pastor, that's, that's a question that is just the answers are given. I mean, who would sit here today and say, no, I don't know of a place, I don't know of a time where the Lord has not been good in my life. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever known a season, a period of time where his mercies have not been good? And you might say, well, preacher, again, that's, that's, that question has an obvious answer. Nobody in here this morning would say that they have known a season or a time in their life when the Lord has not been good or where his mercies have not endured. But I think truly today, the thought of this for he is good, and that should be the light that shines on our heart every single day. In fact, in verse number two here, the scripture encourages every believer to testify, to tell of his goodness. And I think it ought to be a primary goal. It ought to be a priority in our life, not only to let people see Jesus in us, but to testify of his goodness and his mercies to us. You know, there are many times in our life when the enemy comes to us and makes us think, and I want to emphasize this because the devil, the enemy concerning the devil of God cannot steal away our salvation. We know that. But we know that many times he can steal away our joy. And he can come against us, and the, the way he is effective in that is he plays with our mind. If he can mess with your mind, he'll mess with your heart. 
And then it goes from not only thinking things, but believing things and then saying things. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a season in your life? The first question was this. Have you ever known the Lord not to be good? Okay, that's a given. Most of us say, preacher, that's a given answer. But let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time in your life when you have thought that the Lord was not fair to you? Has there ever been a season in your life when you felt like his mercies were not good to you? You see, we can sit in these pews all day long and say the Lord is good. We can lift our hands and say praise his holy name. The Lord is good. But there are going to be times in our life when we're challenged with our faith and we're going to believe somehow because of the enemy. We know that the Bible says he's a murderer, he's a thief, he's a liar. And he comes against us in many many ways. One of the most cleverest ways that he comes against us is that he plays with our mind. Now let me ask you this. What do lost people do when they feel like their world is turned upside down? When they feel like their world is going south? I mean, it's a train wreck. What? Think about it for a moment. What do lost people do? But let me also ask you this question. What do saved people do? What do believers do when they feel their life is a train wreck, when they feel like their world is going south, what the saved people do, I'll tell you what they do. They do the same thing lost people do if they're not camping near the cross. If they're not praising God and testifying of his goodness routinely on a daily basis, Just because we say we're saved, that does not exempt us from the same kind of troubles and trials that lost people have. We live in the same world. Rain falls on the on the just and the unjust. So here's the thing. If we're not careful, we say we're believers. If we're not careful, we're going to respond and we're going to react the same way lost people do. If we're not walking in verse number one, and telling of his goodness and what what he has done for us. Because listen carefully, strange, strange as it might seem to some of us today, trouble and sorrow and affliction is not a stranger to any of us. In fact, most of our lives, we spend it in some kind of adversity. Most of the time. I mean, you think about it, probably there's not a person in here today that's not had problem at one time or another with their job especially with their health, maybe with your family, maybe with your finances, maybe with your friends. I mean, we could put this in all kinds of categories. There are people here today, we've had trouble with people who have done us wrong. And I will tell you this, sometimes the people you do the most for will hurt you the worst. Sometimes we have people in our lives that has broken our trust. So we have trust issues. We have issues with things we're not willing to wait on the Lord with, with impatience. We 
Sometimes we have difficulties and trouble in our relationship directly with God, and sometimes we have trouble with the devil. Problem is, a lot of our troubles, we, we want to easily blame on the devil when I'm not saying he's a good guy ever. I'm not saying he'll ever be on your side, but I'm telling you, a lot of times we get ourselves in a bunch of stuff ourselves, just looking for somebody to blame. But listen, there are not too many of us today where we don't have some kind of problem and conflict that we're dealing with on a continual basis. In fact, as a believer, let me stress this to you today. And I want to give you this scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12 because it's a scripture that's, I think, very clear on what we're talking about this morning. A scripture that seems to say that when disruptive times come into our life, the Word of God says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. You see, a lot of times, if you're not careful, you believe just because you're a Christian, just because you go to church, you have a Bible in your vicinity, that it frees us, it delivers us from oppression. But I will tell you this, there are going to be storms and trials and disruptive moments in our lives as long as we live and breathe and walk on this earth. We'll have some kind of conflict like that. None of us like trouble. I don't believe there's anybody in here today or watching that likes trouble. None of us like problems. We don't really fare well when things seem to go over our head and disrupt our life. When we're faced with things, we don't know what to do. Because I believe everybody in here wants things to go smooth in their life all of the time. But there are going to be times and occasions as a believer where your faith is going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tried. No matter what we do as a believer, we cannot escape it. Trouble has a way of finding us. And when it does, it doesn't show up merciful most of the time. When it catches up with us, it doesn't come empty-handed. Trouble doesn't look around and try to figure out ways to interrupt our faith. Trouble knows exactly how to do that. And without a question, it brings overwhelming disruptions into our lives. It, it, most of the time, when conflict and trouble and disruptive moments come in, it comes in with such a roar that it brings us to our knees or it shreds us to our last nerve. It invades our peace. It takes our minds captive. Many times it will break our hearts. A lot of times it will shatter our dreams. It does so many terrible things in our life. It turns our world upside down. Even people, let me encourage you with something today, because don't think it's strange when your faith is tested and tried. Don't think it's strange when your world is turned upside down. Don't think it's strange when disruptive moments come in. As a believer, yes, you love God, you serve God. But don't think it's strange when these kind of things happened. It happened to even people in the scriptures. Many people in the Bible had painful, disruptive moments, things that happened that tested and tried their faith. Think with me just a little bit here how painful it was when Jehochebed, the mother of Moses, had to put her little child in a makeshift cradle and send him down the Nile in an ark into the bulrushes. Think about how it was when Naomi's 
life came to an abrupt halt when her husband, Emelech, suddenly died. Think about the terrible disruption that took place in the life of David when he could no longer drink from the water from the well in Bethlehem that he so desired. Think about the disruption that took place in Jeremiah's life when he was cast and thrown into the prison. Think about the disruption that took place in the life of John the Baptist when he was arrested for preaching the gospel and ultimately was beheaded. Think about the disruption that took place in the life of the Apostle Paul. And this is what I want to focus on a little bit more clearly today because I think it pertains to all of us. The disruption that came into his life when his faith was tested, when his faith was tried. Because here is the thing. As great a man as Paul turned out to be, we cannot forget the terrible life he lived until the time of his conversion. When he was lost, he lived life fully lost. And I mean, he didn't try to do good. and He wasn't thinking about doing good. When he was lost, he was a vile, evil, wicked man. When he got converted on the Damascus Road, his life dramatically changed. And he was not only good at being lost when he was lost, but he was even better being saved when he was saved. That's why he could go on to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But here's the thing. It didn't matter what the Apostle Paul was, was doing, what he was becoming, what he was achieving, what he was excelling in. And we know that he was a prayer warrior. No matter how fervently he prayed, here is the thing. God chose specifically, and I want to try to help you with this today. God chose very specifically not to answer his prayer the way he was praying. The Bible says multiple times Paul prayed with fervency. His faith was being tried. His faith was being tested. He was the great apostle Paul. He was establishing churches. He, he was leading people to Christ. He was preaching with zeal and conviction and passion that ultimately led him to a chopping block. He was doing everything right. He was doing everything he possibly could do. Yet, in the midst of all of that, there was an infirmity that took place in his life and he began to talk to God and he said, God, I, this is slowing me down. This is getting in the way. Take this thorn from me, God, and I can do so much more for you. I can do such a better job at what you have called me to do. Take this thorn from me. I'm talking, we're talking about the great apostle Paul here. And he began to pray and pray, fervently pray. And God said this, Paul, it doesn't matter how much you're praying. I'm not going to take that thorn away from you. Now think about it, because you might be in a place today in your life where you have said, God, I could serve you so much better if you would rearrange this in my life. If you, if you would just move this around and move that around, if you would just do this or do that, God, I could be so much better at what you want me to do or what you want me to be. If you would just do this or that. And God might be saying no. 
not because he's not good and not because he's not merciful, but because he's got something else in mind. There's a different purpose. In fact, I'd like for us to look at this a little closer this morning. Uh, so turn your Bibles and they'll get it on the screen in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to read for you verse 7 through 10 because Paul's response. Here's the thing that I want you to notice today. He, he was a man who had his faith tested and tried. He was a man that fervently prayed. He was walking with God. I mean, he was not playing church. He was not playing games with God. He was the real deal. And he began to fervently pray. I believe he prayed with tears. And God said, no, but this is the thing that I want you to see today. The response that Paul had to God's no had an everlasting effect on his ministry while he lived and breathed on this earth. It transformed his life. His response to God's no. God didn't say no because he wasn't good, and God didn't say no because he wasn't merciful. He was. And I will tell you this. How we respond when our faith is tested and tried, how we respond to God will also have a serious effect on the rest of our days. We're praying for something very specifically, and we have fervently prayed, and pray without ceasing. That's what the Word says. You, you pray, you pray, you pray. When it's clear that God has said no, our response to His no will have an effect on the rest of our life. That's exactly what happened in Paul's situation. So I want you to see this. I want to read for you. Follow along with me in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. And Paul was identifying, by the way, why he was having this problem. Now, there's been great discussion through the years as to what his infirmity was. And I don't have time to go into those analogies today. But uh, he identifies what his problem was. We'll talk about that in just a minute. He said, unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Three times he prayed that it might depart from me. And he, God, in verse 9, said to me, Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly. Now look here. Paul is saying, okay, I'm going to resolve to accept the answer no in my life as my faith now is being tested and tried in abundance, he said, okay, my response to God's no. Paul said, okay, most gladly, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches and necessities and persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
I don't know how many of us today, including myself, who can honestly say that when our faith is tested and tried and disruptions come into our life, that we can, with a clean, pure heart, respond to God's no in the same positive way that Paul did. I don't know that we could. I don't know that we have. I don't know that we can. I know a lot of people, when we get into these crossroads of life, we'd like to think that we can respond with integrity. We would like to think we could respond like Paul did. But most of the time, let's get real here just for a minute. Most of the time, when life gets disruptive, when our world goes south, when things are not kumbaya, most of the time, and we, we put on this facade with God or we sincerely pray, whatever the case may be, most of the time when God says no, when God's not moving in the direction that we think he should move or God's not moving like we think he ought to move or he's not moving fast enough for us, most of the time, let's get real here, one of the first things we do is get mad at God. I, I, I don't know too many of us who instantly respond, okay, God, most gladly, therefore, our glory and my infirmity. I don't know, that just doesn't happen too often that I'm aware of. We, we, have the, the, we have the tendency, our first response is to get mad at God, or we want to lash out to somebody closest to us with anger. We lose our grip on faith. And then the enemy comes into our life, and he begins to create such an overwhelming distrust in God that we begin to doubt him. We take it out on our families. We take it out on our church. And then we begin to swell up with pride. And we have a tendency to say this. God, I just think you're being too unfair to me. I don't think you're being just with me. I mean, after all, I clean the church. Who else is going to go down there and do it? After all, I drive the bus. After all, I sing in the choir. After all, I play the instruments. After all, I do the flowers. After all, I do whatever's necessary. God, why me? I mean, God, let's get real. If you just look on the other side of the church, God, you can see brother so-and-so. He's not doing half of what I'm doing. <laughs> and if you take time, God, to just turn around, sister so-and-so, how dare you, God? And we have the response. When our world turns upside down, our faith is being tested and tried, and we say, God, why me? Why are you allowing this kind of stuff to come into my life? Lord, you know I love you. Most of the time in, in our disruptive moments, when our faith is being tested and tried, Listen, sometimes our lives end up embarrassing God. And somehow we bring a reproach to his name. One of the things that I'd like to encourage you to do whenever disruptions come into your life, when your faith is being tested and tried, somehow take a moment, breathe. Even though you might say there's nothing I can see but trouble, just take a time and breathe 
just for a moment, and, and look for the providential hand of God. Because the word says, give thanks unto him. If all you can see is trouble, then you will not have any opportunities to see the many things that God has done in your life to be thankful for. The word says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. I've said this a thousand times. God loves us too much to do us wrong, and he's too wise to make a mistake. That's the goodness of God. I want you to think about this. Has there ever been a time that you have never ever known God's hand not to be almighty? Has there ever been a time in your life when the winds of your life refuse to obey his voice? Has there ever been a time in your life after the trouble or trial was over, have you ever had a time in your life where you, you just said the devil's too greater than God? Let me encourage you today that when the storms, when the troubles come into your life, when your faith is tested and tried, the disruptive moments come your way. Remember this, that everything that happens to us, especially as a believer, happens for a purpose. God doesn't let things happen in our life by accident. Romans 8.28 solidifies that for us. Now I want to give you three things to think about this morning. If you follow along in the bulletin, I pray that you will and write some of these uh, sub-points down. I think it would help you. First of all, Paul recognized the purpose of his disruption. The purpose why he was going through this. And we have to do the same thing. When, when our lives are turned upside down, we have to look for the reasons. God, show me, teach me something today. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he said this, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Look at this. And so Paul was quick to conclude that this disruptive moment, the trying, the testing of his faith, was to protect him. Listen carefully now, because he prayed three times for God to move it out of the way. But he understood it. God was giving him this disruption in his life this thorn was given to him to protect him from the sin of pride. A lot of times when, when our faith is tested and tried, yeah, we do. We want to fold our hands and we say, God, it's not fair. Why, why are you doing this to me? And we get mad at him. We have doubts in him. We, we begin to distrust him. But remember that God always has a greater purpose than what we might be able to see at the moment. Just give God some space. Give him some time to work. In Paul's case, it was the sin of pride God was trying to protect him from. And by the way, pride is a terrible sin. It almost caused Naaman in the scriptures in the Old Testament to be a leper for the rest of his life. Suppose this, when the prophet told him, he said, look here, you want to be cured of your leprosy? What you need to do is go down there and dip in that Jordan seven times. And Jordan was a very nasty, muddy river at that point in time. Suppose he said, hey, listen, I'm a captain of the host in the Lord's army. I'm not doing that. How dare you? Why, don't, why can't we go down to the Galilee? Suppose he said, I'm not doing that. 
Suppose he, he went down there and he said, this is ridiculous. Everybody's down here watching me. This is the most craziest thing I ever heard in my life. God's telling this man to tell me to get in this water and dip myself seven times. Look at these people. They think I'm a fool. So what if he got down there and just went, I'll do it one time. Okay. Suppose he said, okay, I'll do it again. See, nothing's happening. And suppose on the second time he turned around and said, listen, I'm not fooling around with this stuff anymore. I'm telling you, pride would have caused that man to be a leper for the rest of his life. And if we're not careful, pride will enter into our life and cause us irreversible problems for the rest of our life. Pride comes before the fall. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he falls, what the Scripture says. So for the believer, at the heart of all of our suffering, we have to remember that he's the potter, we're the clay. He is the refiner. And as God refines us, he is purifying the gold of our godly character. We have to understand that. In First Peter 1, 7, the Scripture says that the trial of your faith, and you might be here this morning, you might be watching, where you do feel, Pastor, I'm in, I'm in a place in life right now where my faith is being tested and tried. The trial of your faith being much pr more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So remember this, God has a purpose with our disruptive moments. There's a purpose why he allows our faith to be tested and tried at times. Perhaps it's to teach us a lesson. If that's the case, look for whatever God's wanting to show. Maybe it's to slow us down. Maybe we're trying to get too ahead of God. I don't know. Maybe God allows our faith to be tested and tried because he knows that there is a greater storm over the horizon about to come our way. Maybe God allows our faith to be tested and tried because through this experience, we can learn how to help somebody else. So the thought this morning is this, and when your faith is being tested and tried, remember, God has a purpose for it. Look for it. Number two, God not only has a purpose, but he has provisions for the times that our faith is tested and tried. He has provisions for our disruptive moments. Listen, when things go south for us, aren't you glad? Now, he is a big, mighty God, and he is seated on a throne. He has angels and cherubims and sephirims all around him. He has people lifting up their hands all the time, bringing honor and glory and praising his name. You think about the glory, the beauty, the splendor that God himself, God the Father, is experiencing right now. Aren't you glad that God in all of that splendor and all of that glory and all of that environment and that beautiful throne, aren't you glad that when God hears our feeble cries on this earth that he knows is sin cursed, aren't you glad that God is not just soaking up people fanning him and feeding him grapes and lifting up their hands and God being puffed up. Aren't you glad he's not like that? Aren't you glad that God doesn't look down in our, our storms and our troubles and our trials and he hears our humble, feeble cry? Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, just deal with it? 
Just deal with it. God's not like that. His mercy endures forever. And so we have to keep him. Look at this in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 12. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We have to keep in mind that Paul did not receive painful moments in his life any better than we do. Sometimes I think that we we have a tendency to believe that these people in the Bible live so supernaturally that, okay, well, yeah, they had hardships and they had heartaches and they had troubles and trials. But we know when we read the, the story, when we read the end of it all, it all worked out for them. The truth of the matter is we know that. We can read the story. We can look back on it. But when those people were going through those things, they didn't know it. And so here's the thing. Paul did not receive the difficulties that he had in his life any better than we do. When we have problems, the first thing we want to do is say, God, fix this. Get this straight. And that's what Paul did. God, take this thorn from me. Work this out. None of us look forward to problems in our life going south on us. The thing is, the world could change. By the time this service is over with, it could change as planet Earth. It could change in our government. It could change in our health. It could change in our finances. Listen, we're not promised anything. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So look at this. None of us, none of us anticipate trouble. None of us want it. None of us look forward to it. But God has arranged, get this truth in your heart and your life today as a believer. I firmly believe this because all things work together for the good. Here's the problem. I believe this with all of my heart, that God doesn't define good like we do. If you sit back and say, okay, I'm a believer and all things are going to be good. That's not what the word says. All things work together for the good. But God may be defining this good a little different than us. We, sometimes I think we, we really believe that as Christian people, we ought not to have these kind of disruptive moments in our life. But I believe this. God has arranged life in such a way, even I believe more so as believers, that we don't get too comfortable with the world. You say, what do you mean, preacher, by that? That we don't get too comfortable with the world? I mean, the truth of the matter is this, and we have to speak the truth, we have to be honest with ourselves, because I believe that if we ever got too comfortable as a believer, how many of us would want to pick up the cross? And follow him. I mean, if we, if we got too comfortable, how many of us would want to live by faith? If we got too comfortable today, how, how many of us would want to endure hardness as good soldiers? So God has arranged it in such a way that he doesn't want us to be 
too comfortable with this world, we would start trusting in the world if we got too comfortable with the world. God wants us, listen, one day life's trials will soon be o'er. Someday the stammering tongue will falter no more. Someday we'll live through the eternal ages. We love the song when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. And thank God for heaven. Thank God for a brighter day. Thank God for an endless eternity with Christ where we will never suffer again. John said in Revelation 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Thank God. Thank God. There's coming a day. And what a day that'll be when my Jesus I shall see. But God has arranged this life where we don't get too comfortable with this world. And if it takes storms, disruptive moments, God has a purpose in that. God has a reason for that. God knows what he's doing. Paul didn't like what was happening. You may not like what's happening in your life right now. He wanted it to be gone. We want things to be gone and different. He wanted it to be over and behind him. We want that. He prayed earnestly about that. We do that. But God chose not to answer the prayer like Paul was praying. He said, I'm not going to remove the thorn, but I'll do something else for you. He said, I'm going to give you every ounce of grace that you need to go through this problem. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Here's the thing. God's given us grace today, right now, to live and when it's our time to step in Chile, Jordan, he will give us the grace to die. Number three, real quickly. And the next critical thing is not to lose our perspective as believers when our faith is tested and tried, when disruptive moments come our way. When disruptions come our way, listen, there are really only three things you can do. I've given you three blanks here today, and I want you to write this down because there are only three things, pretty much, as we narrow it down. There's pretty much only three things that we can do when our world goes south. Number one, we can get angry with God and everyone around us. Number two, we can lose our will to continue on in the faith. We can quit on God. We can quit on the church. We can quit on our prayer life. We can quit on the Bible. Or number three, we can depend on God to help us to endure it and learn from it. We have to accept the fact. Listen, if you don't get anything that we talk about this morning, I pray that you get this statement right here. Because in God's mind, and He's finite, we're, he, has, he has an infinite mind, we have a finite mind, Listen to this. As much as we pray, we will never understand the mind of God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And here's the thing. As much as we pray and God speaks the answer no, 
We have to get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. Whatever God says, we have to be willing to accept it. We have to remember that God, listen, God may not change the circumstance. That's hard. That's hard preaching. That's hard word. But it's the truth. God may not change the situation. Well, why wouldn't he do that? Think about all the glory that could be brought to his name. Listen, God may choose not to do that for whatever reasons. He may not change. And I want you to get this truth. When disruptions come our way, we have to be willing to continue on with him no matter what's happening. We've got to be determined to press on. Everything that happens to us as a believer, I believe, happens to us with eternal purposes in mind. And I want to close by giving you real quickly here. I want our musicians to come, but I want to give you four incredible principles, I believe, that will help you govern your life when painful times come. You've prayed, God says no. You've prayed, God says I'm not changing that. You've prayed and God says I'm not doing this or that. When you've prayed, he's saying this. All you need right now is my grace and it is sufficient. Four things, real quickly here. Remember this, number one, disruptive moments are really divine appointments. Disruptive moments are really divine appointments. God is not experimenting with any of our lives. He's not trying to figure it out. He has a plan and his purpose. When Joseph was thrown in the pit and then placed in prison, God had a purpose. God had a purpose when Job was afflicted by Satan. When Paul was afflicted in his body, never forget that in every circumstance, God is in control. Number two, spiritual progress without disruptions is usually not possible. We'll never grow in grace without those moments in our life. No Christian, listen, no Christian has ever been designed to be a babe in Christ forever. We are taught in the word to move on to spiritual things, to the meat of God's word. There will never come a day when God is not concerned about the spiritual growth of our heart. He daily desires for us to be molded closer in his image. In 1 Samuel 16 Verse 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or the height of his statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God is passionately concerned about our heart. You see, when our faith is tested and tried and the disruptive moments come, it usually leaves us with stuff to deal with. Baggage that's too heavy. Rivers of tears. But it also end up being a, a very humbling thing for us to focus on the things that we're spiritually neglecting, spiritually rebelling against, areas where we're willfully knowing that we're sinning against God. Unless there are disruptions in our life, we will never ever really get to a place where we slow down enough to listen to God from our own passion to do so. Number three, the promise of God 
when our faith is tested and tried, the promise of God in our disruption is the provision of his grace. He gave it to Paul. He, he will give it to you. Our last scripture that I want to give you here is this in John chapter 15, verse number 8. The word says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye may bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants us to bear fruit. Jesus was explaining that because he loves us from time to time, he has to do some pruning in our life. He has to rearrange some things in our life. He has to turn some things upside down. Maybe things go south. Disruptions are not always evidences of chastisement. Sometimes disruptions are a way for him to prune us, that we will draw closer to him. And what we learn, number four, from disruptions is this. What we learn from disruptions in our life will depend upon how we respond to them. If we ever get to a place where we feel that we know it all, we can't learn anything else, that's the day that our life will cease to be productive. I believe some of us, some of us get to a place and point in time in our life where we're saying, God, I don't have time for you right now. But when I get to a place where I feel like my life is coming to an end. When I get all my ducks in the row, when I cross all my T's, dot all my I's, I'll give you my heart. None of us have any kind of promise that something like that could take place. What we do know is that our lives be shaken twisted, sometimes mangled while our faith is being tested and tried. But let me finish with this. Again, God loves you too much to do you wrong. He's too wise to make a mistake. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.